So today, I know it's, um, it's Palm Sunday, and there isn't, there's some type of expectation to just have a Palm Sunday sermon. Um, and I will read from the Palm Sunday part, but I want to compare it with when Jesus was washing his disciples' feet. We're going to look at what kind of king is this. He's a savior king. What kind of king is this? So the story of Palm Sunday is one of the stories that is found in all the four Gospels. So it's found in the three synoptics and it's found in John. And I'll have some people to come and read for us from all the different Gospels. And read for us from, John, from Matthew, from Mark, from Luke, and from John. So I've got some young people who are excited to read God's word, to come and read for us. I'll start with the person who's reading from Matthew. Come forward. Thank you, Samuel. When they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus then sent two disciples, telling them, Go into the village ahead of you. At once you will find a donkey tied there with her foal. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place so that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. Tell daughter Zion, see, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did just as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey in its foal, then they laid their clothes on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their clothes on the road. Others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them on the road. Then the crowds who went ahead of them and those who followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in uproar, saying, Who is this? The crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. All right. My reader from the book of Mark, Sawyer. And would you please tell the people where you are reading from? This is from Mark 11, uh, verses 1 through 11. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethage, and to Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, and he said to them, Go into the village opposite you. And he said, And as soon as you have entered it, you will find a colt tied, on which no one has sat. Loose it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it. And immediately he will send it there. So they went their way and found the colt tied to the door outside the street, and they loosed it. But some of those who stood there said to them, What are you doing loosing the colt? And they spoke to them just as Jesus had commanded. So they let them go. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their clothes on it. And he sat, and he sat on it. And the many spread their clothes on it on the road. And the others cut down leafy branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then those who went before them and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus went to Jerusalem and into the temple. So when he had looked around at all things, as the hour was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. All right, can I have my reader who's reading from the book of Luke? Uh, this is Luke nineteen twenty-eight through 44. 
Um, when he said this, uh, he went ahead going up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass, and when he grew, drew near Bethage and Bethany at the mountain called Olivet, he spent two of his disciples saying, Go to the village opposite of you, where you will, and as you enter you will find a cold tide, which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you loosening it? Then thus you shall say to him, Because the Lord needed it. So those who were sent on their way found it just as he had said to them. But as they were loosening the colt, the owners of it said, Why are you loosening the colt? They said, The Lord has need of it. And they bought, brought him to Jesus. And they threw over their clothes up on the colt, and Jesus sat on him. As they went, many spread their clothes on the road. Then, as he was now drawing near to the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began rejoicing and praising God with a loud voice and mighty works, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, the place in the heaven, and glory in the highest. Then the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Now as he drew near, the city wept over it, saying, If you had known, as he drew near the city, he wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in your day, the things that make for your peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies build an embankment around you, surrounding you close on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave you one stone upon another, because you did not know the time of your visitation. Amen. Can I get my reader from the book of John to come forward? Thank you, Spucky. John chapter 12, 12 through 19. The next day, the crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zah. Zion, see your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Amen. And then I've got one more reading. I know we're reading a lot today. And this is the last reading. It's from John chapter 13. This is when Jesus was washing his disciples' feet and Owen... He's going to be reading that for us. John chapter 13, 1 through 17. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, 
He loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil had already put in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was guarded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing to you, you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered to him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, You are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Amen. Lord, thank you for the reading of your word. I pray that you'd speak to us, the speaker and the hearer alike. I pray that your word will come alive in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, you all. Appreciate you. So we, we read two passages here, and, um, and I wanted to look at this servant and king. What kind of a king is a king and a servant? They seem to be two parallels. They seem to be not together. How does somebody become a king and a servant at the same time? Usually we know the king or the monarchy has got the power and rules and the people serve them. But this is a different type of a king that we are looking at today. So when we move on to the next slide, I am sorry I forgot my clicker, so I have Grandma Ruth try and walk with me through this. We see the Bible tells us that it was the Passover time. It tells us that, um, and when you think about the Passover time, those who uh, study history will tell you that Jerusalem was a stinky place during the Passover time because of all these animals that came in that people brought. It was not a very um, sanitary place, as we would call it in our world today. I'm sure some of us would have put on the masks not to avoid getting sick, but to try and get away from the smell. Uh, Jerusalem was not like glittery and beautiful during that time. There was um, sheep everywhere. There was lambs everywhere. There was turtle doves. There was all these things that people were going to offer as sacrifices. And so there was, yeah, there was dung, fresh, stinky, steaming dung. 
And these people were walking in sandals, and some of them would step on it and walk on. So I want you to, uh, to see the picture of that is happening there. But uh, Jesus is surrounded by all these lambs. But having been surrounded by these lambs, he himself was the greatest of the lambs. As he walked into Jerusalem, as he roared into Jerusalem that day, he's surrounded by all these lambs that cover the sin. And he's the greatest lamb that take away the sin of man. So he is, he is the chief lamb, if there's something like that. He's the chief of those lambs. And when we look at it, we see that the Bible tells us that they took branches and palm trees and some took their clothes and put them on the ground so as the horse was going. So imagine somebody taking their clock and putting it over the dung for the horse to trod on and all those things. So this was serious stuff. Nobody wanted to put their clothes down on all that down from the, all the animals that were filling the city. But because a king was coming through, people were compelled to do that. But not only that, if you look at it, the Bible goes on to speak about that some of them used these palm branches. These palm branches were a symbolic thing that had started um, to show the nationalism of the Jewish people. So it was a big thing for the Jewish people to see that. And so when they saw Jesus coming in and they put all those, what are they saying? They are saying, you are our Savior, you are our Messiah. But they are mistaken in the type of Messiah that he is. It's not only the crowd, the disciples too. John is very sincere to tell us that the disciples did not understand in the beginning of what they had done. It was only after that they looked at it and like, wow, this happened. So they looked at Jesus as a political messiah, as a political savior. They greeted Jesus as a king, though ignorant of his type of kingship. They hailed him, hailed the king of the Jews as he was coming in and they put on everything, all those things, but they did not understand the type of kingship that he was talking about. They sang Hosanna, which says, save us now. They were excited. They called for this Messiah to save them now. But they did not understand the character of his kingdom. All they thought about was the dream of liberation of being fulfilled in being liberated from being held captive by the Roman authority. But Jesus was not just about that. The Jews expected that Jesus is going to come and he's going to cause this havoc and we're going to be free and we're going to be um, have him and throne him as the king and that's it and we would defeat the the Romans, and some of them, I think they thought, although the Roman army is huge and all that, they thought of God could do it in the Red Sea. He can do it now. They had the faith. They had the joy to get to that. But that was not what was to be. What is the character of his kingdom? What are the things that we see his kingdom? Number one, his kingdom 
is a spiritual kingdom. It's not a political kingdom. It doesn't mean that the spiritual does not affect the political. It does, big time. The spiritual affects every part of our lives. But if, if Jesus had just concentrated on the political, he would have lost the plot because the plot was to be king of everything. And so they see Jesus as, as a political king and he says, no, I'm a spiritual king. He's not a military kingdom. He came in the city on a donkey. A military person would come in the city on a horse. We know the statue of Mad Anthony out there where he's on a horse and it's feet are up showing victory. Jesus came in as, as a law person. But as a king, he knew the balance between being humble and having all authority and being king. So they came, he did not come in war, he came in peace at that time to the people. And his war was the spiritual war, it was not the physical war. That is why Paul says we are not fighting against flesh and blood, but by every spiritual powers that are in the heavenly places. So Jesus comes in and he shows that. And then again, his kingdom was a worldwide kingdom. It was not just for the Jews. It was for me and you to be part of that kingdom. It was for me, all the way from Johannesburg, South Africa, and for Anne from Fort Wayne, Indiana, And for Lena, all the way from Syria, it was for us together. He had a bigger plan than just Israel at that time. And the, the, we hear that the Pharisees did say, look, the whole world has gone to him. <laughs> yes, they were right. The world was going to go to him. And we represent that world that has gone to him. And then we see as well that there was going to be an explosion of this kingdom, of this ministry, and his kingdom was going to explode. They little did they know that as they were seeing Hosanna save us, that his kingdom would explode in the next few years with the disciples. Little did they know when they crucified him on the cross. And when he was put in the grave, and they thought, okay, we've closed the grave with a stone, that's it. But his kingdom was yet to explode. His kingdom is worldwide. They couldn't stop it. They did say, we are, we are really, it's not working here, we are walking opposite the escalator. The escalator is going up going up and we are trying to go down an escalator is going up, it's not working. They say it. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law in Luke say it. They couldn't stop the praise. They couldn't stop the progress of his kingdom. But in all this majesty that was coming and that was and that was to be, he 
was still a servant, humble king. How do you do that? How does that happen? And then we hear people as well asking, who is this Jesus? Who is this who's coming in, in Matthew? We hear them asking at the end, who is this? Or they say, it's Jesus. The identity of Jesus is not something to be in history, is not something to be um, past, oh, he's dead, and he's, and, yeah, 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 it's a story, it was, it's, it's not just a story. The identity of Jesus is central to the meaning of each and every life. He is either the Messiah or the madman, as C.S. Lewis puts it. Who is he to you? What is his identity to you? What is his identity to me? Jesus is not just another pathway to heaven. He's not an alternative, one of the alternative alternatives that we have. He's not. Remember this. The prophets came and said, I'm pointing you to the truth. And Jesus came and said, he did not say I'm pointing you to the truth. He said, I am the truth. He's not an alternative. Some people came and said, I'm pointing you to where life is. And Jesus came and said, I am the life. Others pointed and said, this is the way to God. And Jesus said, I am the way to the Father. Others pointed and said, God is there and Jesus is God. This is the identity of Jesus. This is who he is. And they try to say, keep them quiet, keep these people quiet, don't, don't let them shout. And when I think of those people who are saying, keep these people quiet, Jesus rebuke your disciples. I think of people who have got the form of godliness but deny the power thereof. They had the law, they walked in the law, but they denied the power thereof. Paul tells Timothy, to be wary of those people. They have an outward profession, but there is no inward conv- a conviction of who Jesus is. They have a religious expression, but there is no fruit. There is no fruit that lasts because they don't belong to the vine. We, on the other hand, We need to have the affair of the heart come out in our lips in worship. And then in the life that is transformed by disobedience, bear fruit and fruit that lasts. It starts on the inside and it goes on the outside. The people were excited on the the outside. The disciples too were excited on the outside. They did not understand on the inside what is happening. And we see the king coming in lowly. And then we move on to chapter 13. 
And we see Jesus with his disciples sitting at the table. He is the loving servant who loves those that the Father has given him. He has loved them to the end, the Bible tells us. He is a creator who's washing his creation's feet. Think of how dirty that job is. We've talked about how the city looked like. And the creator stoops down and he washes their feet. He did not do it from a position of weakness, but he did it from a position of all authority. Said, all authority has been given to me. But also, the Bible tells us there just before that, that Jesus knowing that the Father had given him authority, stood up from the table. He knew it was out of knowing. It was not from weakness. Most of us would look at such a king and think, what a weak king he is. He wasn't. None of the disciples had volunteered to wash each other's feet, obviously. If Jesus had to stand up and wash each other's feet, that means they got in and they sat at the table. And it says that it was during the meal. The washing of feet was done before, usually. So that means everybody got in and like looked at Peter's toes and like, oh, there is no way I'm touching those. And John looked at um, um, the other disciple, Judas, and like, oh, look at that. Ooh, no, not. And everybody sat and they were having a meal and Jesus stood up. He did it. He did it because he knew his authority. He did it also because he knew what his relationship was with God. When we know our relationship with God, when we know God and we know what our relationship is personally with him, we don't mind stooping law. We don't ask people, do you know who I am? Because we want better treatment. We don't do that. Because we know who we are. There is a funny joke that has been put out of a man who comes to this lady at the airport and says, do you know who I am? And she says, hold on, Sanj. And she picks up the mic and says, um, the mic that speaks to everybody and says, there is a man here who does not know who he is. But Jesus, in this case, knew who he was. He knew his relationship with his father. When you are secure in your relationship with the father, you are able to stoop down. It was not in spite of that he is king. But it was because he knew and he was conscious of his divine origin, his divine destiny. Those were the things that made him stand up from the supper table and wash his disciples' feet. As the people had misunderstanding when they came into the city, we see another misunderstanding here. Peter, I love this guy. I think he's like me. So much. And Peter stands up and he says, you are not going to wash my feet. And Jesus says, if I don't wash you, you're not part of me. And then Peter changes. 
Immediately, he changes. Okay, if that's the case, then wash my head, wash my feet, wash my hands, wash everything of me. He, he, he's changed within a second of hearing Jesus saying, you're not part of me. But the one thing that I, I, I want us to realize is that Peter wanted to tell Jesus what to do. Though Jesus was the servant of all, he was God appointed, God, as a God appointed leader. And he would not allow Peter to tell him what to do. He knew what was right for him. Peter had tried before as well to tell him what to do. Peter had said to him, you surely shall not die. He, the Bible says he called him aside from the other disciples and rebuked him. You shall, don't say that Lord, you are not going to die. But when we look at Peter's mistake here, Peter's humility is true enough to allow him to see Jesus as his king. But it's not deep enough to see that he's trying to detect to the king what the king should do. He knew. That's why he said, you cannot wash my feet, you are king. He, he, He had an understanding of that. But the understanding was not deep enough for him to realize that actually I'm stepping into telling the king what he needs to do. He has forgotten that a few days ago when he tried to rebuke Jesus, Jesus said to him, get behind me, Satan. And I like the fact that Jesus speaks about this cleansing. And he says, who who is clean um, does not need to wash everywhere else. And I, w- I want to encourage us and just give a thought. This is a thought that I have. And I, I want to share it with you guys. Because I see that and I think, is Jesus... This is a question in my head. Is Jesus saying, here referencing to the cleansing of his work done in Calvary? Because it says, if, you are, if, if you've washed in, the, you washed in the morning, you don't need to wash again. And he's, he's saying that there is no need for a second sacrifice when I have sacrificed, but there is a daily need of washing our feet that get dirty as we walk in this walk. I don't know. It's a thought in my head. It's a question that I've had when I've been reading this. Is that is he saying saying that the work will be done and will be done for all, but there will be daily need for you to wash each other's feet, to wash off the debt on each other's feet, not to laugh at each other's debt on their feet, but to wash each other's, to stoop down to your brother or your sister who's struggling and wash their feet. Not to look at them and gossip about their dirty feet, but to get down and be a servant and wash those feet and tell them. The Bible tells us, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual favor and prayer of a righteous man availeth much. He's saying, I'm thinking, is he saying that we will, yes, the work is done at Calvary. When the work is done, that still means that as we walk, our feet get dirty. And as our feet get dirty, are we at a place where we wash each other's feet? Where we hear each other's confessions and pray for one another? I like it, I love it when we come and we pray for one another up here and wash each other's feet. And so what do we see here? What do we see here in Jesus when he teaches us? He says, you call me teacher and Lord and you say this well for I am you also must wash 
one another's feet. What is central here? He's focusing on humility. Not only in attitude, but also in action. When we are humble in attitude, in seeing who we are to him as king, and we are humble in action, in worship, but also when we are humble in humility, in seeing our brothers for the, who they are, and we are in action again, washing our brother's feet. He's calling us to a place of humility in attitude and in our action. I'm sure the disciples would have been glad to wash the feet of Jesus. Jesus says, wash one another's feet. I'm sure they would have clamored and pushed each other to wash his feet because they knew he was a master. But he doesn't, he, he turns it around and he says, wash each other's feet. Some of you already know my favorite, one of my favorite all-time preachers. Um, one of my favorite guys is Spurgeon. And there is something that, was, um, that he said about this passage that I would like to share with you. It's a very long quote, so I'll try and read it as it is to you. He says, hear how the gossips say, do you see that spot? What a terrible walk that man must have had this morning. Look at his feet. He has been um, very much in the mirror. You can see, for there are traces upon him. That is the world's way. The world gossips about each other. They point fingers at each other. But that's the world's way. But Christ's way is very different, he says. He says nothing, but he takes the person and begins to wash away the stain. Do not judge and condemn, but seek the restoration and the improvement of the erring. What is our attitude? to brothers and sisters who have got dirty feet. The Bible says, if you claim to be without sin, you're a liar. That's the first sin right there. This is why we confess our sin in the morning when we get here. We understand the fact that as we walk this walk, our feet get dirty and they need washing. And sometimes we look at somebody's walk where somebody is stumbling. It's easy to criticize. It's easy to gossip. It's easy to judge. But our king and master and servant, savior and servant says, no. He don't need to say anything. He didn't say to his disciples, okay, now you folks that did not even think about washing each other's feet, now I'm going to wash your feet to show you what this means. Yeah. He just stood up silently from the table. Took a basin. Wrapped the apron around him, service, and decided and started to wash his disciples' feet until one of them complained. Is that our response to our brothers and sisters that have mud on their feet? Is that our humble response 
is that my response. The Savior came, stooped down. If we're going to wash one another's feet, another thing that we need to be careful for is to be careful of the temperature of the water that you're using to wash those feet. It's important. Great. You might have the great idea that I'm going to wash. I'm going to wash Bill's feet today and I bring Bill up here and I set Bill up here and I boil the water. Bring out steaming, boiling water. I know Bill, for Bill it's very easy. He's always... Um, he do, always doesn't have his shoes inside church. I come here, Bill, and he comes up here, and I put a seat here for Bill, and I take my take his socks off and get ready to wash him. I take the boiling water on his feet. Will that help? No. Sometimes we we find ourselves very zealous and fervent, <laughs> and in our zeal and fervent desire we might miss the mark so check the temperature of the water if i take bill and say come bill i'm gonna get water i'm gonna get water from the fridge with ice water and we'll sit you here and i'll wash your feet it's too cold sometimes you know we're wanting to do this we do this with a cold heart And that's not the way of Jesus. So we need to find a place where we are not called towards those people. We need to find a place where we are not zealous to a point of accusing those people. We are there just like the master. He stood up from the table with humility, knelt down and washed their feet. The temperature needs to be in the middle. Humility is an outward working of the inner invasion by the servant king. When the servant king has gone and invaded your heart, outwardly there will be humility because the servant king has conquered that heart. Has the servant king conquered my heart? Has the servant king conquered your heart? Yes, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And for us today, we don't, don't just say, Hosanna, save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We say, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the Lord. And we say, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, because we are waiting for him. Are you with the crowd that is seeking liberation? A few things that we see from Jesus here. He rises from supper, a place of comfort. He comes out of it. He gets up from the place of comfort. And we know that he rose as well from his throne in heaven and came down. His throne in heaven is a place of comfort and rest. And he stood up for it for for our sake. As we see him here, doing the same with the disciples. Jesus laid aside his garments, taking off his covering and took on an apron. Jesus laid aside his glory and his heavenly covering. And he came and he became man. He took on the towel and killed himself, ready to get to work. 
Jesus took the form of a servant and came ready to do the work of his father. He poured water into the basin ready to clean. Jesus poured out his blood to cleanse us from all guilt and all sin. And then when he was done, the Bible says he sat down again at the table. When he was done with the work here on earth, he's seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. He poured out his love for us in full. And that's something that we know as the church. And I'm going to ask church, are we with the Pharisees who are telling them to keep quiet, who are denying the power? Thereof? We've got a form of godliness, but denying the power. Do we have religious expressions but are not bearing any fruit? After John 13, when we go to John 15, he speaks about, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me will bring forth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Are you abiding in the vine for you to bring fruit? Or it's just a... Remember I spoke the other time about whether you can take the oranges and tape them into the orange tree. That doesn't help. It needs to be fruit that comes from that tree. Eventually, those won't last because they don't belong to that tree. You can get the plastic fruits and tie them on a tree to make it as if it's got fruits. It doesn't help because that's not real fruit. And Jesus says that when we abide in him, we will produce fruit that lasts. Let us not be people with religious ex expressions but no fruit has the affair of the heart with Jesus come out in your lips in your life of obedience and transformation has it has my affair with Jesus come out in my lips it's easy for to say it but it starts here he who confesses and believes in his heart that Jesus is Lord. Yes, there is confession, but there is belief in the heart. And that belief in the heart comes with transformation and changing. And it brings forth fruit. Some of us have been washed once in that fountain. Great. But we need daily washing of our feet from our brothers. Some of us have never been washed in that fountain. And if you have never been washed in that fountain, you can wash the feet all you want. If the first encounter with Jesus' work that is done on Calvary has not come to fruition, it's a waste of time. We start at Calvary. We start in the beginning. And then when we come here, we are washing each other's feet because we have already been washed fully in his blood. Have you accepted that sacrifice? If you are here, if you are watching from home and you have not accepted that sacrifice, I challenge you today. This Savior King, he is a king who gave his life. And then to, our, to my brothers and sisters, 
those of us who have been washed? Are your feet dirty from walking? He's calling us to confess and get cleaned. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. He is calling us today. Confessing our faults to one another is a sign of humility. And hearing each other's confessions and praying for one another is a sign of humility. He is king. And he's a servant. When we know our relationship with him, we are able to stoop down. When we know what our relationship status is, it's easy. It's not, it's not hard to stoop down to our brothers and sisters. We see a king coming in with people with no understanding of what it means. But he knows what is happening. It's part of his plan. It's part of fulfillment of prophecy. It's part of his plan. And when we are called like the disciples to be with him, there's a time that comes and it came for the disciples where they understood all those things. Have we come to the place of understanding and knowing personally who he is and what he's calling us to? We are called to humility. We are called to walk in humility. B-team, would you come forward so we can uh, sing together? But before we sing, I want to challenge you really to the idea of that we are called to this king who is both king and humble. We are sons and daughters of a king. But being sons and daughters of a king does not give us a license to be proud. It teaches us the kingdom that we are in is a kingdom of humility. We are not fighting against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And we can think about it and know as we're going to sing, living, he loved us, dying, he saved us. Rising, he justified us. And freed us forever. Freed us to be able to come in humility to him and to one another.